Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. God, thank you for your presence that is here. Thank you for your word that is true. May we have ears to hear what you are saying to your church, God. I pray that we would not just be hearers, but that we would be doers. Give us faith to respond to you. And we pray, Lord God, that you remove all distractions from mind in this place and even those who are joining online. God, may we continue our worship as we make our ears, our hearts, and our mind attentive to your truth, God. We pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you can follow along, that you can take notes and uh, be part of what is what is happening and what God is speaking. In my opinion, it's important to take notes, right, so that way you can reflect on what it is you believe that God spoke to you. And so today, we are going to be beginning, beginning a new series called A Cry for Revival, A Cry for revival. And the title of the message today is A Foundation for Expectation. So if you look at your outline, it says this here. It says, there should be no question if we simply look around, there is brokenness, bitterness, divisiveness, and a seeming heaviness in our land. Would anybody say amen to that? However, there is hope, there is help, and there is an answer to what we see happening. The church answer is what? Come on. There you go. I only got half the church to say it. The church answer is what? There you go. Come on now. Let's talk. Talk to me now. The church answers Jesus. You know, you know the, the, the story of the kid who was in Sunday school and they're telling him, they're describing, they say, so what is, you know, furry and brown and has a little white thing on its belly and then it also has some black on its tail and the kid yells out, hey, I know. And the teacher said, what? He said, Jesus. Because even though it sounded like a squirrel, we're in church, so it's got to be Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. That's the reality for us as Christians. But here's the thing. That story illustrates for us a mentality that that some of us may have uh, embraced, and it's just like the go-to, the religious or traditional answer is Jesus But the fact is, if you look at your outline, Jesus is more than a historical figure or a religious representative of Christianity. He is the resurrected Savior of the world. By his spirit, he empowers his church to be witnesses of this reality and as such, break the powers of darkness and despair that so pervade our days. This, my friends, is revival. It is when Jesus really means something. Where, where there is trembling at the name of Jesus, where there is an understanding of who Jesus is, that he's not just, again, he's not just some religious representative somewhere. He's not, he's not, he's not our patron saint. That is not who Jesus is. Jesus is the resurrected one. And as we look at, your, at the word that we've looked at today in the book of Psalm, which is before Jesus came on the scene, naturally, we see the psalmist crying out for revival. And here's what I believe, the last paragraph I believe in your, in, in your outline there. It is time that the church awakens from its slumber. Are you here? It is time that the church and awakes the church awakens from its slumber and cry for revival, knowing that we serve a God who hasn't changed. Jesus has not changed. We've changed. As I've been praying and, and, and seeking the Lord regarding revival and pursuing him regarding what he wants to do in the earth, there is something, and I, and I say this because we need to hear this, but the church is in this spiritual lethargy. 
And what I mean is this, is that we sit in church, we listen to sermons, and we fill ourselves with spirituality. We get the goosebumps. I don't have hair here, so, but, you know, we get the goosebumps. The hair on the back of our neck stands up. We feel good about our faith, and that is as far as we are going. We are in this lethargy. It's okay. Let's just go through the motions. Let's just continue. We'll go to church in and out, but where is the power of God? Where is the life-changing force of God in your life? We go through the motions of our lives every day. We, 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 we seem like, okay, we're, we're good. We're not good, church. We are not good. Look at, look at the world around us. I was praying the other um, Friday night, and for those of you that don't know, we are in 21 days of fasting and prayer, and we started on Friday. We gathered together for our first worship service and prayer service to commend these 21 days unto the Lord. And, and as I was praying, I, I began to pray something that is big for me. And, I, and I'll say this. We were, it didn't hit me until I was coming from this Better Man event large from a large church in a neighborhood. And as I pulled out of this Better Man event, you know what I noticed? The spiritual poverty that was surrounding that church was incredible. And I wonder how can we have such majestic and glorious buildings and yet our communities stay the same? It's called spiritual lethargy. It is when, now, now, now before you think, oh, Bishop's getting down on the megachurch. No, I'm not. We have a house that is right next door to us and those people don't know Jesus. So whether you're in a mega building or in a building like ours, what is happening in our communities? We are lacking and we are in desperate need of the move of God's spirit in the earth. We need the power of God. We need a great awakening to take place in our days. Like we have never seen in church, we got to wake up. We can't just sit here and just want to be fed you know how many people leave church because they're not being fed? You know how many people leave church because they don't have this program or that program or they're not feeling it anymore? I was talking to a worship leader from another church. This is his words to me, so I will quote him. He said somebody who went to a church that he was at before said to him, hey, man, you know, I'm really not feeling it any here anymore. And, and I think, and he said, hold up, time out. And he's like, um, what do you mean you're not feeling it? That's not like a Christian thing. He's like, please don't come to my church. Figure out why you're not feeling it where you are because I'm not feeling it. It's not some spiritual something, right? And No, no, no. But that's where we are in the church world today. And, and I'm, I'm not talking about, oh, you know, your, your church. There's, there, there is reasons. Don't get this twisted. There are reasons that you should leave church. Hello. They're preaching heresy from the pulpit. You need to bounce. Amen. But before you bounce, talk to the pastor. If they, if they are preaching something that is unbiblical, then you need, you need to be like, wait a second, that's not good for my soul. That's not good for my spirit, right? If, if those things are happening, then yes, we need to leave. If there is spiritual abuse that is taking place by the leadership, you need to be like, see ya. But I'm not feeling it. Come on now. That's just the introduction. We haven't even got to point one, glory to God. A cry for revival. A foundation for expectation. I want you to think about this this morning. Faith for revival must be founded in God's faithfulness, not temporal circumstances. Faith for revival must be grounded in God's faithfulness, not temporal circumstances. Now, here's why I say this, because this is so, so very important for us to grasp. When we look around our world, there is a lot of, of death. There is a lot of darkness. There is a lot of despair. There is a lot of ugliness and heaviness that is surrounding us. But that's not why you or I should have faith for revival. We should have faith for revival because we look at God's word and we see that what we are seeing today and what we see in God's word, do not they, they don't mesh. There is something missing. They don't mix. There, there, there's an issue. And, and, and as you think about revival, because some of you are very astute and you're theological and you're, and you're wondering, well, where, where do we see revival in the New Testament? Where do we see this cry for revival, Bishop? L listen, can, can I help you out for a moment? The, the cry for revival should be when you read the book of Acts and you don't see that today. That's where you should say, wait a second, why are we not seeing that today? 
The cry for revival is that. That is the way the church was birthed. I know I'm being loud today, glory to God, but I got some burning inside of me. But, here, but here's the thing. There, 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 is some, there, 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 is, there is something that happened in the book of Acts in the upper room, and it's not just what happened there. It's not just the tongues of fire. It's not just the wind of God. It's not just that moment. It is what you see breathing throughout the pages of 30 years of church history. There was a movement of God, and that, my friends, is revival. And can I say this? That should be normative for the church today. There wasn't, I mean, listen, there's always going to be haters. Come on now. There's always going to be detractors. There's always, there's always going to be people who are going to be like, oh, man, we don't, you know, that, that, that's not real revival. That, 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 that's emotionalism. Oh, no. God wants to do something great in this earth, church, and I believe that he is calling us into that. He is calling us into this place of revival. So what do we see in the book of Psalms as we're looking at this foundation for expectation? Here's the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must acknowledge the past. Be motivated, not stuck. We must acknowledge the past. Be motivated, not stuck. We'll look at verses 1 through 3 real quick. I'm going to run through these because there's, there, there's four verses that I want us to get through at the end of the sermon, and I want to make sure that we unpack um, Psalm 85. But look what he says. The psalmist is writing, and he says, Lord, you have been, past tense, favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins. Selah. The writer of this, of this psalm makes us pause. If we're reading it the way that it's supposed to be written, see, we see it in our Bible. You see Selah on the right side, and it's like, oh, what's that there for? And you keep reading. And if you're, if you're uh, reading with a Bible app and the Bible app is reading to you, I'm pretty sure, I've never had it happen to me, that the Bible app doesn't pause. But the writer of this psalm is saying this. He's saying, wait a second. I want you to pause for a moment and think about what God has done. I want you to pause for a moment and realize that God has been favorable, that God has brought us back from captivity, that God has forgiven our iniquity, that God has covered all our sins. That's something to pause and think about, is it not? That the mercy, I only got one, uh-huh, and I got like some, I don't even, are y'all awake? Are y'all, <laughs> Hector, I think you need to come up, we just to worship some more. They, they, were, they were excited about the worship, man. <laughs> but listen, it, I don't know about you, but when I think about the cross of Jesus Christ, when I think about what Jesus did, the suffering that he went through, the embarrassment that he suffered, when I think about all that he endured in order to save you and I, when I think about that, man, that's cause to pause. That's reason for me to pull back and say, wait a second, God, God redeemed me. God offers me forgiveness, and if you're here or if you're listening and you have not put your faith in this Savior, you need to recognize that Jesus died and rose again so you could have life. We acknowledge the past, but we don't get stuck in the past. In verse 3, he says, you have taken away all your wrath. Is that not an awesome truth? You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Church, Jesus died absorbing the punishment you and I deserve. The death that Jesus suffered was not because he was guilty of anything wrong, but it is because he put his life in our place. He laid his life down. I mean, that, God's wrath. Listen, for those of you that were with us for the last 18 weeks, we went through the book of Revelation. And as we went through the book of Revelation, it is crystal clear the wrath of God is going to come upon every rebel against God. But it is also crystal clear that all of those that put their faith in Jesus are not children of wrath. And so even the Old Testament, the psalmist is recollecting the fact that God has taken away his wrath and his fierceness. See, here's the thing. The reason why this is so important that we acknowledge the past but that we don't get stuck in it is because we all have history, do we not? We have history with people, history with organizations. We have history with God. And what we realize when we look back at our history, what do we realize? We realize that those experiences have shaped us into the people that we are, have they not? 
whether they are good or whether they are bad. And the psalmist does what? He reflects the history of Israel with God. Most people believe that this psalm was written after the exile, after Ezra and Nehemiah, somewhere within that time after they had been, been brought back to the land and they had begun to rebuild the temple and the city. It is in this time that the psalmist is writing these words, re recollecting God's historical move. Our history can either cripple us or catapult us in faith. Our history... With God, and even with organization, because we talk about organization, we cannot deny the fact that the church is an organization. And there are many people, and maybe you're in here listening, you've had some bad experiences, you have some bad history with the organization that's supposed to represent Jesus. And it has crippled you from putting your faith fully in him, walking fully, because there were letdowns and disappointments. And that happens. You know why? Because we're sinners and we've fallen short. It's not an excuse, right? It, it, it's, not, it's not okay. Church, let me, let, let me say this. It is not okay to be a heathen. Hello. <laughs> Y'all a tough crowd today. I need to work on some new jokes, glory to God. It is not okay to live unrighteously. It is not okay to live in sin. It is not okay to be a jerk. How about that? It's not okay to, to be rude and foul and harsh towards people. You and I are supposed to be dominated by the love of God. Mercy should flow from us. Grace should flow from us towards people. And so if you have hurt somebody, you need to repent. Listen, if you're sitting in here and you know somebody who doesn't go to church because of your unrighteous ways, man, you need to repent. You need to call them. You need to beg them for forgiveness. It is imperative for us that we learn to live in holiness and that we walk holy before God. And that's part of what revival is. But here's the thing. All of our history, it, it, it can either cripple us or it can catapult us in faith. It can either hinder us from believing God for more or it can cripple us or, or it can catapult us to believing God for more. It's imperative that we don't forget history. We shouldn't forget history because even if you're one of those people that was hurt or offended, guess what? God wants you to be part of the body of Christ and help us not hurt or offend other people. Amen. But here's the thing. Don't get stuck in the glory days or the gory days. Yeah. Don't get stuck in those. Don't, don't, I remember the days. Good. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, rem oh, I remember those days. Great. Don't get stuck, though. We cannot get stuck. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must have faith for the present. We must have faith, for the faith is an optimism. We must have faith for the present. But understand that faith is not optimism. What do, what, what do I mean? Faith, no doubt, will produce optimism, will it not? Faith will produce in you a positive outlook. Faith will produce in you a right view that is from a biblical place. That is going to happen. But optimism falls short of faith. Why is that? Because in that, positive thinking is not always rooted in God's revelation. Sometimes we just think positive because we're trained that way. And some of you, I don't remember, there, there was so much ministry that happened during the, during the worship and praise time. I, I, I think Hector, he ministered it. I think Sean ministered it. If you didn't hear it, let me, hear, let me help you hear it a third time. Don't believe the reports of this world that are not aligning with the scriptures. Hello. You know, some, some of us believe things that sound like Bible, but they're not. You know, there's a, movie out there, there's a movie out there called The Secret. I hope you haven't watched it. And if you have, I hope you don't succumb to it. Well, because they, 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 they use some biblical text, right? They use some biblical things that sound like, hey, you know, you just kind of believe it and it's going to come. Really? That's demonic. That's not scriptural. That's not, that's not, that's not God's inspired word. I'm just going to think positive. I'm going to, money's coming to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Open my hands and receive it. Shut up. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I got it. Hallelujah. Just took a little bit. Y'all just had to warm up, right? Amen. But seriously, the reason why we're in the condition that we are is because we allow garbage like that to creep in unchecked. Because we allow people, listen, I remember years ago, this is, this is before we were in this building, I remember a young man coming up in the middle of worship 
in the middle of worship, and he was crying. He was emotional because he had read this book called The Secret. And you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to get up in front of the church and testify to let the church know, hey, all you got to do is start believing right. All you got to do is start thinking positive. Wait, 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 what? That is Satan. Tears and all. Motivation and all. And praise the Lord that we had enough discernment to say, nah, man, we can't let you get up there and do that. And then afterwards, we had a conversation with him later and said, hey, man, right after the service, and said, listen, man, we're not sure. We understand that something happened to you, but we're not sure that this is biblical. He never came back, but nonetheless. We, we have this, this responsibility to have faith for the present, but understand faith is not optimism. Positive thinking is going to happen, but it's not just that. True faith is always rooted in the God of Scripture. What does the psalmist do? Look at verse 4 through 7. The psalmist does this. The psalmist moved, was moved in faith to ask God for more. Look at verse 4. So now, I just said they were already in the land of, of Israel. They were already in Jerusalem. They had already rebuilt the city, rebuilt the walls. They're somewhere around there. And yet the psalmist says this, restore us. Oh, God of our salvation. Now, it's important for you to look at that word restore. I don't know what your Bible says. Some of your Bibles may say return us. That's probably a better interpretation or translation of that word. Because what this word is literally saying is, is the psalmist is saying, God, return us. Return, bring us to repentance, Lord. Bring us unto yourself. Because you know what? Even though we're here, ret return us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. I thought his anger was done. Why is the psalmist praying this? Why this sounds like he's schizophrenic or something? Like one moment, you know, you know those people on Facebook. I hope you're not one of them. You know, they 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 post these positive and just wonderful, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a second, is that the same person? Well, just know it happens here in your Bible. Hello. It seems like he's saying God forgave all our iniquities and removed the fierceness of his wrath and his anger, and yet he says, and cause your anger toward us to cease. You will be angry with us forever. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? The psalmist is moved to ask for more. I love this verse, verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy and grant us your salvation. Will you not revive us again? He's moved to ask for more. He was grateful. Understand this. The psalmist was grateful. He was grateful for what God had done, but he wasn't satisfied with where he was. He wasn't satisfied with what he was seeing around him. He wasn't satisfied. Listen, I, listen I, I, am a, I am called to pastor, to preach, to teach. I'm called to, to be a leader of the church. That's what I'm called to do. And I am grateful. When I see you here rejoicing, worshiping, and I, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but church, understand this. We have to have an outward view. We, ha we, we, we have to look at our neighbor next door. We've got to look at our neighbors around us. We have got to look at our city, at our region, and say, God, we need more of you. We, it, it's, it's not enough just that I'm saved. It's not enough that we just have a Holy Ghost good time. Hello. It's not enough, but there's got to be more. And the psalmist cries out for more. I'm reading a book. It's one of the other books that I'm reading on, on revival. It's called A God-Sized Vision. And speaking of revival, listen to this quote. Many Christians have grown, have grown so content with the ordinary that they don't bother asking God for anything more. Many Christians have grown so content with the ordinary that they don't bother asking God for more. Let's unpack that a little bit. We're happy that our family's good. I have an okay job. Some of y'all are like, I'm praying for another one. Hallelujah. <laughs> but nonetheless, I get a paycheck every two weeks, every week, whatever. I'm, you know, the bills are paid, right? So I'm good. God has done all these things that are, that are good. Amen. But do you dare ask God for more than that? Do you dare ask God and say, God, I, I, I'm grateful for the job you've given me. I'm grateful for the family that things seem to be tracking. Everything seems to be working well. I'm grateful for this marriage that may have been in turmoil and now it's okay. I, I'm grateful for all that, but God, I want more. 
I'm grateful for your provision. I mean, is that you? That's the question. I don't want to just say a quote. Is that you? That you're like, you, you, you have no desire in you for more. You have no inclination that, that, wait a second, maybe God wants to do something exceedingly, abundantly above all that I can ask or think. I don't know. I'm just saying we have to be those people that say, God, we're grateful. Thank you so much for all of your provision and blessing. Thank you for everything that you've done. And listen, if you ever come to our prayer services and prayer times, there are some times that I pray this, and I don't pray this for you to hear. I pray this because I believe this, and I'm like, God, if you never did anything else for me, I would be fine. If you didn't bring revival, I'm going to heaven. I'm not worried about where I'm going. But can I tell you something? We need to be concerned about the next generation. We need to be concerned about the generation that has heard about Jesus from us but hasn't encountered him. We need to be concerned about the generation that is still in, in, they're still up in the air. Are they going to follow Jesus? Maybe, maybe not. We need to be concerned because here's the thing. The only reason I stand here today is because I encountered Jesus. I love my grandma. She's an amazing woman of God. She prayed and helped me and helped pray me into the kingdom. I love my mother, but I can tell you this right now. Had I not encountered Jesus, I wouldn't be standing here today. And I hope, I hope that if for nothing else, for your kids' kids, that you will want revival. Because if you read your Bible, this historical document that we have, you know what we see in the Bible? We see revivals that happen where people repent, they humble themselves before God, and then you know what the Scripture says so sadly, like 40 years later, 60 years later, it says, and there was a generation that rose up that did not know God. You know what we're seeing right now, church? We're seeing a generation that does not know God. This is the reason why there's so much division in the church. It's not all this other political garbage that we get caught up in. It's not all this other social stuff that we get so consumed with. It is because the, the generation that is living now has not encountered God. You know what they've encountered? They've, called mixed, they've encountered mixed religion. And so here's what people think. This is what people think. And, and listen, I'm all about good works. I'm all about serving the community. I'm all about being part of what God is doing. But can I tell you something? That is, that, that is the extent to which the church in today's day measures itself by being gospel-centered. Well, if you're doing good works, let's get out there and work in the community. Amen. Let's work in the community. But how about we change the community? Because we're so busy painting walls and cutting grass, and we're so busy helping dilapidated homes get better, and we're so, and we're so concerned with serving, but where is the power of the gospel? Where is it? It's lacking because I can tell you there are some great churches. That church that I tell you about that I drove by in Orlando that I came out of, I'm going to tell you, that church is doing all kind of stuff that would seem great, and yet there's a problem. There's a lack, church. And I believe the lack is the presence and the power of Almighty God that we should be concerned and we should be consumed to see. In the end, like Israel, we see that he's there. He's not satisfied. And here's what we have to realize and why this prayer even matters. Because in one sense, he's praying, reminding that God had delivered. But then there's another side where there was still some of the consequences of their sin that were following them. This is why optimism fails. Hello. Because you know what happens when you come to Jesus? This is what they lie to you about. You come to Jesus, everything's going to be better. You come to Jesus, and you're going to have your best life. With a smile and a, you know, <laughs> twinkle in their eye, glory to God. And then you come to Jesus, and man, I feel better, but it's still tough. The struggle is real. That's why history is so important, because you know that even when the struggle is real, God has not left you. Even when there are naysayers out there, even when there are people in your own family congregation that don't believe that they're not with you, God is still there. God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. The third thing <clears throat> I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must anticipate a future based on the past. God's word, God's word never fails. We must anticipate a future based on the past. See, for the follower of Jesus, you know where our history begins? The book of Genesis. 
So we've got long, solid history of who God is, of what God does, of what God wills, of what God will do. We don't just have history, but we have promises for the future. I've never, I've never noticed the words of that song that we see the fulfillment of your promises. Such a powerful reminder that even when you don't see it, you got to see it. Even when it's not in front of you, you've got to see it. Even when it's not there yet, you see it. You know why? Because you see him. Not because he's perfect. I mean, not because you're perfect, because he's perfect. Not, 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 not because you got it all together, but because when you press in, when you decide, God, I want to pursue you, I want to know you, and you know what, you don't do it based on emotion. Church, let me tell you something. It's not based on emotions. This isn't based upon feelings. I've been talking to you guys about revival for months, and there are, and there are moments that I'm not, I'm not feeling there are plenty of moments. There are more moments that I'm feeling no revival, that I'm feeling like I don't want to pray, like I don't want to see God, like I'm okay with the ordinary blessings. And listen, I don't want to minimize the blessings of God by saying ordinary. What I am saying is that the everyday, but I, I can be like that, just get satisfied with, hey, my family's okay. I don't need to pursue God, really. I just keep praying like I am, you know, and, 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 I'll, keep, and I'll be more religious so my family sees Jesus more. It's not emotion. It's looking at his word and seeing what he says. Okay, so what does the psalmist say? He continues on in verse 8 through 13. Look at his words. He says, I will hear what the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. What does he say? God's word is going to speak the promises that are yes and amen. God's word is going to show us what he really means by abundant life, not a perfect life, but a life that is filled with him, a life that is filled with his presence. His word is going to show us that, but what does, he, what does the psalmist remind us? Don't turn back to your foolishness. Don't turn back to your sin. Don't do that. The psalmist is in faith that God will speak good. Verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. How many of you want to see glory in this land? How many of you really want to see a move of God in this land that is really transforming? You know, it's funny because a couple of Sundays ago, I was talking about these young ladies, these Olympic, Olympic athletes that were, on, that, that were testifying before um, the, the Senate or Congress. I don't remember which one it was. And I was sharing with you how our issue is that we don't, we don't embrace the Imago Dei from conception. In other words, we try to tell people that what is inside of a woman's womb is just a bunch of cells until they decide. And then they want to tell you that once this baby starts breathing or is viable is probably the word they would use, then they matter. I have a lot of compassion for those women who may be in here listening that have had an abortion and who are, who are broken over that. Don't walk in condemnation. The gospel is there to free you and heal you of that bad decision. I was listening to last night after we got off the prayer call. By the way, I said Friday we, had, we got together for prayer. We're also praying every night from 8 to 11 on Zoom. So if you want to join that, you can join that. Except Fridays. Fridays we're praying together here. As, we, as, as I, after the call, as I was getting ready, I was finishing listening to a guy who was talking about, it's, you, you, I don't even know who this guy is, to be honest. Somebody shared the video with me. It was on the, the, the importance of prayer and revival. And he said something that totally wrecked me. He said, during the Welsh revivals, illegitimate pregnancy rates dropped. You want to fix the abortion issue? Cry out for revival. Are you hearing me? Because you know what happens? The fear of the Lord. He says what? Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. The fear of God begins to grip people because his presence is known. And then pregnancies outside of marriage won't be the norm. In our day, it's the norm, church. 
In church, outside of church, that's just the fact. Divorce rates, I was, uh, this morning I was, I was broken thinking about divorce rates. Divorce rates in the church, hear me now. Divorce rates in the church are no different than divorce rates in the world. I got an email. And this, this, this just goes to show you the way that the church is going. I got an email, and it, was, it, it is not because I'm some great singer. It's not because of that. I think they just, you know, send out an email to everybody who subscribed to their thing. So, you know, there's a, and I, I don't want to put the group out there, but they say, hey, if you want to be part of the choir when we come to your city, you know, fill this out. And I was like, you know, they're probably not going to accept me because I'm 45 years old, and they want young people. You know what I'm saying? I want young people, Amen. But I said, just let me fill it out. And as I filled it out, right, they asked you all the questions, which proved to me that they want to know, like, you know, where, where, you know, where are you at? Like, how old are you? I mean, they ask you your birth date, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, man, this is worse than going to the doctor, you know, for that annual checkup. Glory to God. <laughs> but then they asked the question, what gender are you? And, you know, when the drop-down window hit, I was like, you can I was... Male, female, non-binary, or choose not to say. How on God's green earth are you a Christian worship band and you are giving the option for non-binary? This is the condition of the church today because we need revival. Sin is normal in our midst. There is no repentance. There is no confession of sin. There is no brokenness over our unrighteousness before God. Because what? Oh, the grace of God has me. Satan has rocked people to sleep by the grace of God preaching. And I'm a grace of God preacher. And I believe that God's grace secures me. I do not secure myself. I did not save myself. I am not keeping myself. I'm not getting to heaven because I am righteous, and neither are you. But my friend, you better understand, God is holy. And he calls his church to holiness. And the reason why sin just walks in and walks out like nothing is because there's no conviction of sin. We're in desperate, desperate need of the fear of God. We're in desperate need of people who tremble at God's word. The psalmist continues and says, and he gives us a picture. This is so beautiful because as we look forward to the return of Jesus and to the millennial, this is what he's describing here. He says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall, pre- shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our path. So what is the foundation for us to believe that God wants to revive us? Well, the psalmist looks forward to a day. It's a glorious day, is it not? A day where there's no more sorrow. A day where there's no more tears. A day where there's no more struggle with this flesh. There's no more struggle with sin. He looks forward to that day, and so should we. But as we look forward to that day, he doesn't stop there. What does he do? He is praying before that, saying, God, do it now. God, bring Revival now. We look forward to a day when mercy and truth will come together. We look forward to that day, but today, Lord, move in our days. I want to give you four scriptures. I told you I'll give you four scriptures. The first one is found in Second Chronicles, and so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I believe it'll be up there. This is a familiar portion of Scripture. Second Chronicles, chapter seven and verse fourteen. This story, and again, this 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 passage of Scripture is right after Solomon built the temple to God and dedicated it. It's right after the glory of God comes down in a cloud where they couldn't minister there. The power of God was present. 
And Solomon prays and asks the Lord, Lord, let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes be attentive to the prayers that happen in this place. And God responds to him and he says these words, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. This scripture has been the catapult that has moved people throughout generations to cry for revival. This scripture, I struggle with this scripture. You know why? Because this scripture, in its context, I just gave it to you. It is God speaking to Solomon about Israel, his people. As a matter of fact, the verse preceding this says that, you know, when the heavens are shut up and don't give their rain and the land is not, you know, flourishing, that's what he says. And then he says he will heal the land. But I, I, I need you to understand something. There is a covenant principle that is here. And God says, if my people, are you God's people? Whether you realize it or not, if you call yourself a Christian, you are God's people and you are called by his name. You and I are his representatives. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, what a lot of people believe is that this is a twofold responsibility. One responsibility is on God. The other responsibility is on us. So what is God's responsibility? God's responsibility to this text is to hear, to forgive, and to heal. But what many believe is that God gives this precursor to what will cause him to hear, forgive, and heal, and that is that his people must pray, must humble themselves. Humble themselves. Humiliate them. That's what humility is. It is humiliating yourself. Oh, Bishop, you saying I got to humiliate myself and make a fool of myself? I don't know. Does Jesus want you to be a, 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 vo- a voice for him? You might be making a fool of yourself in front of people. Hello. I don't know. But what I do know is that God wants us to be humble before him, broken before him over our sin and over the sins of those around us. When you look in the scriptures, and I don't have time to dig into this right now, but when you look into the scriptures, you know what you find? You find people like Daniel who are like praying, God, you know, I I, I am unclean like the rest of these people. You know, Daniel didn't come to God like, Lord, I'm holy. I'm this intercessor. I'm this holy guy, and these people are heathens. That isn't how he came. He didn't come like that. And please know this, because I know that when you hear words of repentance, Please please know that I am wrestling with God over my own sin. I'm not here pointing the finger like, oh, you're a bunch of sinners. You're going, no, no, no. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying, come on, people, let's look in the mirror together. Let's look in the mirror of God's word together and let's humble ourselves. Let us pray. Let us seek his face, meaning let us seek his favor. Let us seek his blessing. Let us seek him and let us turn from our wicked ways. Listen, it's not just about coming to prayer meetings. It's not just about praying prayers. Listen, it is about seeking his face. I'm almost done. James, turn with me real quick because, you know, we have this old covenant promise that is there that is pretty clear, but I want you to see something in James, James chapter 4, verse 6 through 10, and it says this, it says, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, hear these words please, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, therefore, now look at these words, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look at this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So, 2 Chronicles 7.14, Old Testament promise, is echoed by James. They're almost the same words. God is speaking to his people. Listen, we're not exempt from sin, but we are not okay to live in sin. We are all going to sin and fall short of the glory of God, but we cannot allow sin to be normative in our lives. 
Hebrews 11.6 is our vision verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Those who come to God must believe that he is. Pause. Not that he was. Not that he was holy. Not that his standards were for somebody else. But that he is holy. That he is all-powerful. That he is almighty. That he still requires righteousness. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What is his reward? It's his presence. It's his revelation. It's what we see in the scriptures that there was such a mighty move of God in the book of Acts that the whole world that was known at the time had been turned upside down because of the power of God that was present. I'll close with this scripture. Acts chapter 3. I want you to see these words as the apostle Peter is preaching a message. He's communicating after this healing has taken place. Chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. He says this. Actually, let's go to, let's go to verse 17. If you got your Bible, go to verse 17. In the back, I apologize. I didn't give you verse 17. He says, yet now, brethren... When he's speaking of brethren, he is speaking of the people of Israel that are there. He says, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his servants, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, what does he say? Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. I love this. Verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that what? So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then he does what? He points us to Jesus who is to come. And you know what, you know what seems to be in Peter's mind? What seems to be in Peter's mind is this. Repentance, revival, return. Repentance of sin, revival in the church, return of Jesus. That's the picture that I see here. And I'm not trying to build a whole doctrine on one scripture. I wouldn't do that to you. But what I see him saying is when there is repentance, there is times of refreshing. Church, we desperately need times of refreshing. And so my closing question for you is this. Will you covenant in prayer? Will you covenant in prayer? In other words, will you commit your whole heart to praying for God to move like he has never moved before? Beginning in your life, beginning in your family, moving out into our region, manifesting greatly. Will you covenant? Will you repent? Will you turn to him? I ask you to bow your heads right where you are. And let us pray together. Father, we come to you right now, and we acknowledge, dear Lord, that we are unrighteous vessels before you in and of ourselves. We realize that we are in desperate need of your presence. We are in desperate need of your revelation and power in our lives and in this earth. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you today, and we ask you, God, that you would forgive us for our filth, that you would forgive us for our unrighteousness, that you would turn us back to you, God, that you would return us to the place of humble surrender and faith. Lord, that you would liberate us from false doctrines and half teachings that have led us astray from holiness and righteousness, God. That we would not become legalists, dear Lord, that are bound by rules and religion, but that we would become those that are so overwhelmed by your holiness that we strive to imitate you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus 
that you would purify our hearts, that you would cleanse us of unrighteousness. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question. If you say, yes, I want a covenant with God, and I want a covenant in prayer, I just want you to stand up where you are, right where you are, so I can pray with you. If you say that to the Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray with those who say yes. Hallelujah. Father, you see our hearts. We're not standing before you because we want religious accolades, God. We stand before you because, God, we want revival, not just for us, but for our children and our children's children. God, we want to see revival in our days, not because we need more of you for us, but because this world is in dire need of the revelation of God. Lord, we stand right now as those, Lord, I pray that you would mark our hearts, that you would begin to burden our hearts, break our hearts for revival, God, for an outpouring of your spirit that is likened to nothing that we have seen in our days. Lord God, revive your works of old in us, God. Start in our hearts, God. Give us real repentance and surrender before you, God. Purify us dear Lord and make us vessels of revival God Father give us no peace give us no peace outside of your presence Lord let, let, us, let us long for the courts of the Lord of hosts let us long for your presence God oh God let us not sit on the sidelines dear God let us not be those who sit around and wait to see, but God, let us be those who press in, God, believing that we will see. And Father, I know that distractions will come. I know that the, the, the enemy will rise up against these lives, but God, I pray that you would rise up like a flood against every work of the enemy, God. Bring revival to our lives. We pray this in the strong, strong name of Jesus. And everyone who believes said amen.